good morning again. I am uh, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. If you have your copy of the Scriptures, I'd encourage you to open it up to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. It's going to be in the New Testament towards the end, just before the book of Hebrews. Um, but I'm, I'm excited this morning to share from uh, Philemon, looking at another letter in the New Testament here. So we've been going through this series Uh, Looking at letters this time we're looking at Paul's letter to Philemon and it's really short You know in in my Bible it it doesn't even fill up one whole page in my Bible And yet in this tiny little letter we can learn so much about our identity in Christ and how we walk with him Each and every day and so if you'll remember we saw Paul in his letter to Titus passing on his faith to a disciple and Um, This letter is no different uh, here in Philemon. Paul is passing on his understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ to a disciple. Paul is living out the Great Commission right in front of our eyes. He's teaching all that Christ has commanded to uh, these men through these letters. And Paul really was a disciple maker before being a disciple maker was cool. I mean, that's kind of a buzzword nowadays, that we go and make disciples, that we're discipling people, that we... Um, have discipleship. And that's really a development over just the last, you know, 30 years or so that that's become such a catchword. But Paul was doing it long before it was cool. Um, And this passing on of the legacy of faith and the teachings of Jesus is really the meat of discipleship. And so when we say discipleship, we're not talking about a six-week course. Now, don't get me wrong. Those six-week courses that we do or, or however many weeks they are, those are good. And we need those. We need those Bible studies. But that's not the meat of discipleship. It's not like you go through six weeks and then check. You're a disciple. Congratulations. You graduated and now you're a disciple. That's not how it works. I mean, just look at the example of Jesus. He spent every single day with 12 men for three years. And they still didn't get it. And they were with Jesus, right? So what makes us think that in six weeks we're going to get it? Well, we see in this example here that Paul gives us in this letter that we are called to share what he reveals to us through Scripture with others. Paul was a great example. Jesus was the ultimate example. But in this letter specifically, we find Paul sharing about our identity in Christ. And when we identify ourselves with Jesus, it produces several things in our life. Um, And so I want us to read this short little letter. We're going to read the whole thing because that's the way it was intended to be read. Uh, And we're going to learn, I think, a few things about our identity in Christ. So follow along with me, beginning in verse 1 of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become more effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I may, or I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now 
he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be my compulsion, might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we have this letter that Paul has written to his friend Philemon. And I want to make sure that we understand who the characters are in this story before we move any further. Because there's a lot of names in this short little letter. Um, But let's talk about the main characters. First we have Paul, the apostle, of course. He is in prison in Rome at this point as he's writing this letter. And um, we have with him is Timothy as well as several other people that we'll talk about here in just a little bit. So you have Paul and Timothy. But then we also have Philemon. Philemon was this very well-to-do man who lived in the Lycus Valley. And the Lycus Valley is the area around um, the cities of Ephesus and Colossae and Laodicea, that area. And he obviously was very well-to-do because he had a large household. He was a, there was a church that met in his home. You have um, many scholars believe Aphia was his wife and that Archippus was their son. And then finally, we have this man named Onesimus, who was a slave in Philemon's household. But at some point in the past, before this letter was written, he had escaped and run away. And in his travels, he had ended up in Rome and was saved after Paul shared the gospel with him. And he's now a helper to Paul in Rome. And there's some other people that, like I said, that are mentioned at the end of the letter, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But these are the main characters, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, these three men, all right? And so in this letter, Paul reminds Philemon of some things concerning his identity in Christ that we can learn a great deal from today. So let's see what our identity in Christ Produces. First off, let's look at this uh, little greeting, verses 4 through 7, that Paul writes to Philemon. He's, he shares how um, he is so thankful for Philemon, Paul is. And the first thing that Paul leads us to see here, leads us to understand, is that our identity in Christ produces joy. Our identity in Christ produces joy. Now, someone could technically look at this section of the letter, knowing what's coming, and say, oh, yeah, Paul's buttering Philemon up for what he's about to ask him to do. He's about to ask him to take Onesimus, his former slave, back, and he's saying, hey, man, I love you so much. You're such a great guy. You make me so joyful. And you could look at it that way, um, but I don't think that's what's happening here, that Paul, on the, on the surface, it looks like he could be buttering up, but the truth is much deeper 
The joy that our identity in Christ produces has two different facets, I think, that we see in this passage. Now, of course, Jesus, as our Savior, is the source of our joy for us as individuals. That we find our joy in Christ. That the fact that He is the author and the finisher of our faith. That He is the Word of God made flesh. He's our Savior who died in our place to pay the debt that we rightly owed but could not pay. That should stir up joy in our hearts. That should make us excited. That should draw us in to worship and praise our Creator and make us shout for joy, as we've done this morning already. We celebrate the fact that Christ died for us, and that produces joy. However, our our identity in Christ can also serve to produce joy in the hearts of other believers as well. And that's what we see here in Philemon. Paul had not just suddenly added Philemon to his prayer list because he was sending Onesimus back to him. He says there, look at what he says in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And he's not saying, hey, I just added you to my prayer list because I'm sending you back and I'm asking you to do something hard, so I've been praying for you. That's not, what happened. That's not what's happening here. Paul is... He is a man who loves Philemon. Philemon brings joy to him. His relationship with Christ brings joy to Paul. Paul sharing this expression of thanks that he felt all the time because of his brother in Christ. Paul recognizes that any Christian character that is displayed by Philemon is the result of God's work in his life. God is at work in Philemon's life, and that is exhibited in the way Philemon lives, and so Paul is celebrating that. And Paul is not praising Philemon here. Paul is praising God for what he's doing through Philemon. And this really turns into like this spiral in the best way possible, that Paul points out the fact that he's being brought joy by seeing God at work in Philemon, which encourages Philemon to keep living for the Lord, which in turn produces joy in his life, which then produces more joy in Paul's life, and so on and so on. And it's this cycle of celebration of the fact that God is at work in the lives of believers. And Paul describes Philemon as a man who has an incredible faith in the Lord, that he has a love for all the saints, and that he is active in sharing his faith. When we live out our faith in Jesus in a genuine way, it serves as a source of joy for other believers. When we put our faith into action, as James teaches us to do, then the body of Christ is encouraged. So I wonder, do do you have people like this in your life? Do you have people that stir up your joy for the Lord as you see God at work in them? I know I do. There, There are people that I thank God for every time I think of them. I have friends who live so passionately for the Lord that I can't help but be joyful when they come to my mind because of their faith in our Savior. I mean, I, gosh, I think about people like the Shell family in Florida. I think about people like the Miller family that live in Iowa. I think about the Barnes family in Powder Springs, Georgia. And these people bring up joy in my life because they have identified themselves with the Lord and they live for Him in such a way that it causes joy to well up in me to say, look at how good God is that He's at work in these people's lives. So find people like that. (laughs) Associate yourself with people like that. But then on the other side of that coin, (laughs) there's a challenge here. If, If Paul had been writing this letter to us, would he have been able to say the same thing about our life? Would he be able to say, hey, I am joyful when I think about you because I know God's at work in your life? Some of you may be thinking, ouch. Or, man, I don't know what Paul would write about me. 
Well, we must so embrace our identity in Christ that we live in a way that follows the example of Philemon and serves to help produce joy in the lives of fellow believers. Our identity in Christ produces joy. And in the body of this letter, we find this incredible request that Paul makes to Philemon on Onesimus's behalf. And the second thing that we see is that our identity in Christ produces freedom. Our identity in Christ produces freedom. And again, there's two different facets to this aspect of our identity in Christ. Now, let's talk about Onesimus for a second. Onesimus had been a slave in the house of Philemon. And we don't have time to get into all of the cultural differences of the day. But the fact is, Philemon was a slave owner. And there's no way to get around that. It's not like some, oh, there was a special culture back then. He owned a slave. And that's wrong. It's sinful. But it's the actuality. It's the truth. Onesimus had been his slave. And apparently he had had easy access to items in the house. Maybe he helped in the house and um, was able to have access. And Philemon trusted him. Because at some point, scholars believe that Onesimus had gone into the house, had stolen several items, and had fled from the home. That he had gone away, had escaped. And while no one knows for sure, some scholars believe that Onesimus may have as he was fleeing, come to his senses. Uh, and as he neared Rome, he sought out Paul, perhaps because he had met Paul when, when Paul was in Ephesus and close by the house. And, or maybe he had heard Philemon talk about Paul so much that he, he knew who Paul was. And so either way, their paths end up crossing, Paul and Onesimus. And at some point through Paul's discipling, Onesimus believes the gospel of Jesus Christ and he is miraculously saved. Onesimus identifies with Christ, and freedom is the product. Freedom from sin and death and eternity apart from Christ. What incredible grace and mercy that Christ, who would... You look at Onesimus, and he is in sin. He's running away. He's stolen something. And and yet, even in the midst of that, Christ comes in and frees Onesimus from his bondage to sin and death. What incredible grace and mercy. What incredible grace and mercy that he does the same for us. Amen? Hey, wake up, people. Amen. God saves us from our sin. He comes into our life and he sets us free. When we identify with Jesus and believe in him, it produces ultimate freedom in our lives from the decay of the fallen world around us. And this then serves to work toward producing more joy in our lives, right? How incredible God set us free from a situation that we couldn't set ourselves free from. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to worship. That brings me joy. We have a good and a loving God who sets us free from sin. But we cannot overlook the second facet of this truth as well. Onesimus was a slave who had stolen something from his master and had run away. And so there, there are surely consequences for the sin that Onesimus has Committed, But in this incredible turn, he's returning back to Philemon. He's going back to the place that he had run from. And Paul is asking that Philemon, while he had every right culturally, he would have been totally justified in killing Onesimus for his transgression. But Paul asked Philemon, hey, listen, I'm asking you, have more of a commitment to your Christian relationship to Onesimus then you have a commitment to the expectations that the culture placed on you. Have more of a commitment to your Christian relationship with Onesimus than you have a commitment 
to the cultural expectations on you. This would be difficult, very, very difficult, but this is the freedom that our identity in Christ produces. Philemon was a believer in Christ who had been set free from the bondage to sin and death, just like Onesimus was now a believer who had been set free from the bondage to sin and death. And because of this truth, Philemon is also set free from his anger and bitterness toward Onesimus. He doesn't have to hold on to that. They are brothers in Christ. And if we're being honest, this is an issue for us today. Just as much as it was for Philemon in the first century, it is one thing to acknowledge Jesus' work on our account in our own lives, but it's another thing altogether to acknowledge that every person brought into the Christian church by God's grace also becomes a member of our family. We struggle with that at times. Because let's be honest, we all have family members who are difficult to love, right? We all have family members who are a little bit more of a challenge to be around. That's true in our physical families, and it's true in our spiritual family as well, as believers in Christ. But every Christian, hear me say that again, every Christian, and what I mean by that is every Christian, every Christian is called to receive any other Christian from any circumstance in just the way that he would receive his dearest friend. Any believer is called to accept any other believer just as you would your dearest friend. And that's what Paul is appealing to Philemon about here. Listen, is what Paul is saying. Listen, I know Onesimus did you wrong. He'll have to face the consequences for that. I know he did you wrong. But I'm asking you, believe that he is a follower of Christ now, just like you're a follower of Christ, Philemon, and accept him just like you would me as a partner in ministry. That's a strong appeal from Paul. And that would be difficult. You and I would struggle with that just as much as Philemon would struggle with that. But it's the truth. We are a family in Christ. And the only way that it's possible for us to get past that is by the grace of God for him to come in and remind us and give us a full understanding of what we've been set free from. We are not, again, I know this sounds like a broken record and it's something I say a lot, but we are not just bad people that God made good. We were dead people that God brings to life. And that is something to celebrate. That's very different from just behavior modification. We're talking about an incredibly gracious, miraculous exchange that takes place when we come to Christ. And we cannot hold that in for ourselves and not give it to others. Does that make sense? Paul puts himself in the middle of this situation between Onesimus and Philemon by requesting that anything owed to Philemon by Onesimus be charged to his account. Paul is living out his freedom in Christ by offering the freedom that he has to Onesimus as well as being willing to stand in his place to pay the debt that Onesimus owes. Paul tells Philemon that if he were to accept Onesimus as a free man, it would refresh his heart. Paul is saying, hey, listen, it would, nothing would make me happier than for you to fully embrace your identity in Christ and to also fully embrace Onesimus' identity in Christ as well. And what it seems, uh, in, in what seems like this, pass, this super passive-aggressive example to me, I feel like Paul does this according time, a couple of times here. Like, look at verse 8. Um, Paul says, Accordingly, after he said, You bring me much joy, though I am bold enough to just straight-up command you to do this because of who I am, 
but then also he says uh, over in um, over in verse uh, where is it at? In verse 17, he says, uh, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Paul's saying, listen, I, I could command you to do this. I really could, but I'm not going to. I'm asking you, in the name of Jesus, to accept Onesimus back. Paul reminds Philemon of who he is in Christ and who his brother now in Christ, Onesimus, is. And we struggle with this aspect of our identity. We love to live in the freedom that we gain through Christ, but we often stop a little short in sharing that same freedom with others. But the truth is, if Christ has set someone free, then who in the world do we think we are to continue to treat them as if they're still in bondage? Examine your heart today. Are there people that you need to forgive regardless of the wrong they've done to you? Do you need to ask for forgiveness for how you've treated other people? We're set free in Christ. Finally, we get to the end of this letter in a section that really could easily be overlooked as simply the formalities that Paul is known for at the end of his letters. But the final thing that we see here is that our identity in Christ produces community. Our identity in Christ produces community. And even though these verses could seem very mundane, they show the theological heart of the gospel here. In Jesus, God creates a new humanity where those who were once disconnected from each other are now reconciled and brought into a new family that will only flourish when it's nurtured. It says there um, in, in verse uh, 22, he says, Paul tells Philemon, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Paul had a desire to be with Philemon and Onesimus in Philemon's house. This small group of believers in Rome longed to spend time with other believers and be refreshed in Christ. Christians should spend time together. We should pray for one another. We should show care for one another. We should seek the Lord's blessings on one another. In fact, Paul even encourages that, we, or that they pray for his release so that he might join them. And, and think about the other side of this as well. Here's where we get to these other people who are mentioned here at the end of the letter. Mark, Epaphras... Timothy, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. These six men that Paul mentions here are not in prison with Paul. They are not incarcerated in Rome. They have chosen to stay in Rome and encourage Paul through their presence with him there. Think about this deep commitment. This is community at its deepest level that, is, that our identity in Christ produces Community where we are willing to give our lives for the sake of fellow believers whom we love and cherish and seek to encourage. And if we're being honest, there is no stronger commercial for the fact that you need to be a part of a connect group. You need to be a part of a small group of believers here at Lafayette First. This letter from Philemon to Paul encourages us to be together to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to lift one another up. And, and listen, I, I know life's busy. Trust me. I know life is busy. I, I know it's easier to stay at home. I know it's really convenient to sit at home and watch a live stream. I know that you're tired at the end of the day or at the end of the week. I know that. But the fact remains, we need each other desperately. We need each other Desperately. Imagine the agony that Paul would have been in 
had these six men not decided to stay there and encourage him. I mean, think about potentially what could have happened if Paul had not written this letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Onesimus could have died, right? If he had gone back and Paul didn't write this letter, Philemon would have seen Onesimus coming up and said, oh, it's on now. He's coming back. This is it, right? In our connect group that we have at our house, Kim and I um, lead a connect group at our house, um, I love it. I am, I am made acutely aware of aspects of God at work that I wouldn't have any knowledge of without the interaction with the sweet people that are in our home every week. I mean, I, I've gotten to reconnect with a friend from 20 years ago and get to see God at work in his life and in the life of his family. I get to see my kids live in community with other kids in our group And I cannot help but hope that they stay connected for a lifetime and they encourage one another in their walk with the Lord. I love these people. I love these people. And I pray that all of us in this room and all of us that are online, I pray that we get to experience that type of community here at Lafayette First. I want that for all of us. Our identity in Christ leads us there. And we can't be lazy in following after who we are as followers of Christ. So, how do we wrap all this up? Well, in in this short little letter, Paul models the kind of healthy Christian relationship that we all should seek to emulate. As believers in Christ, we should seek to live out our union with Christ. And that union with Christ should lead us to live in the hope that our human relationships will be characterized by the same reconciliation that we experience with Christ. Paul is passing on a legacy of faith to Philemon and Onesimus, and then on to us by reminding us of our identity in Christ. And we're able to be joyful people who live freely in community with other followers of Christ. Does that describe your life today? It can. It can. You can be a part of this family here at Lafayette First. We are a family of Christ followers who seek to love, live, and lead here in Lafayette. As a Christ follower, you are also connected not just to this family here, but to the global family of believers. We are a part of a bigger thing than just us. And so I'd encourage you today, remember your identity in Christ and let it affect the way we live from now on. Now, maybe you've heard all of this and you realize that you have no connection to the family of Christ followers. You can come to Christ today. You can be adopted into this family just like we all have been. And I'd love to help you connect today. One of the ways that we live out these different aspects of our identity in Christ is through celebrating communion. In communion, we are reminded of the joy that we have in Christ through his sacrifice at the cross. You remember the freedom that Christ gained for us through the power of his resurrection. And we gather in community this morning with the body of Christ as we celebrate together. And we're in community here in this room. We're also in community with thousands of other believers who will celebrate communion today. And so our, our deacons are going to come forward and we're going to celebrate communion together today. 
I want to encourage you to be aware of your identity in Christ today. Be aware of the fact that your identity in Christ produces joy. Your identity in Christ produces freedom. And your identity in Christ produces community. I'd encourage you to worship with us as we celebrate this morning.